I'm still wrecked over the promises of God. You probably, some of you are out there thinking that seems like such a simple truth to have rested you so, but I haven't gotten over it yet. God keeps his promises to his people, but he keeps his promises to me. I'm still living in that, but I want to share with you today in Galatians chapter 4, let me get over there to it, chapter uh, 4 is where uh, we are beginning in verse 18. Now the first two chapters of Galatians were very personable, and the chapters 3 and 4 were very profound. They are profoundly theological. Don't you feel just a little bit like you've been sort of slugging it out here trying to get through chapter 3 and 4? It's because it's deep theology. And we're going to be moving into, in the next couple of weeks, chapter 5 and 6, and they are very practical how to live out what we have learned. And beloved, that progression is exactly as it needs to be because in order to behave right, you and I must first believe right. When we believe right and walk in obedience, then we behave right. Amen? Is that making sense to you? And so uh, we're going to look today as Paul continues to reveal to us the tragic message of the Judaizers while he continues to build the case for salvation by grace through faith. So look with me, if you will, in chapter 4, and I'm actually going to pick up in verse 17. They, and he's referring to the Judaizers, eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so they can seek you. Verse 18, but it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable fashion for not only when I am present with you. So this is what he's saying, if I might summarize for the great apostle Paul. I'm not so sure that's a wise thing to do or not, but this is what he's basically saying to them. This is what I call Paul's amazement. He's saying, do you not realize that they're coming after you, trying to engage in you in order so they can separate you from the true gospel message that I preach to you? Do you not understand the reason they're so uh, interested in you is so they can bring false doctrine to you? That's not commendable. And he's basically saying, I came to you with pure motives to see you come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And those Judaizers who are pretending to be your friends are not. And what they're bringing to you is heresy. That's basically what these verses are saying. And Paul is simply amazed by their reaction. He cannot believe it. Remember in Galatians 3 verse 1, he said, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And again, in uh, 4.16, if you'll look with me there, Donna covered this last week. He said, so have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? How did I become the bad guy here? I brought you truth and you gladly received it. And now others are coming in with another gospel, which is not really another gospel, but it is a works-based religion and you're buying into it. He's simply amazed at them. And look now in verse 20. He says, I am perplexed about you. 
How could you, having received the truth of salvation by grace through faith, how could you now return and place yourself under the bondage that the Judaizers are bringing? Now, the churches in Galatia were extremely vulnerable to this kind of attack after the Apostle Paul left and continued on his missionary journeys. We can assume as well that the Judaizers very religious Jews with all of their pomp and circumstance were just a little bit intimidating to those new converts. You remember that the Galatians were very young in the Lord. Not only that, it is possible that they were just a little bit flattered by the way this powerful group was seeking to engage them. He says, they eagerly seek you not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that they may seek you But it is good always to be eagerly sought, but in a commendable fashion. Paul is saying, I came to you with pure motives, and they are not. They preyed on the Galatians' desire to please the Lord and walk in his ways, but they were adding works to salvation, a message that is completely incompatible with the gospel of grace. Although we do not have Judaizers currently in our Christian community, we have many who are promoting legalism. And so we still have to have our guard up. Satan continues to use error wrapped in just enough truth to make it plausible to deceive God's people. Once again, beloved, our ability to reject doctrinal error is in direct proportion to our ability to rightly divide the word of truth. That's why we invest so much in Bellevue women taking you deep into the scripture, going verse by verse, so that we might all grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and increase our own personal Bible uh, literacy. Several years ago, I uh, got a call, and I was invited to speak at a sister church here in Memphis. And I told the lady, well, I would love to do that, but let me pray about it. And if God confirms it, I would just love to come and be with your ladies. And so I said, I will call you in a couple of days. And so Craig and I prayed it through, and it seemed like God was confirming that I was to do that. So I called the lady back on the number she had given me, and I got her answer machine. Now, girls, you younger ones are not even probably going to believe this, but there was a time when telephones were attached to the wall. (laughs) Believe it or not. And we all bought these really long cords so we could walk around and talk on the phone. But you could not just pick that phone up and take it with you. And so uh, this was one of those days, uh, one of those times when I had my phone with a long cord and I'm calling the lady back. I get her message, uh, her answer machine, and I leave a message. This is Jean Stockdale. I want you to know I've prayed about it. I believe the Lord wants me to come to speak to your ladies and I'm real excited about it. If you would give me a buzz back, we'll work through the details. Several days later, I get a call back on my answer machine. And beloved, back then you had to push a button and a little tape would go zip, and then you got the message. And the message says this, I don't know who you are. (laughs) You left a message on my machine. And I don't know you, and I don't have a group of ladies, and I have not invited you to anything. Basically, what she was saying is wrong number. (laughs) Beloved, 
here's the takeaway. Satan, he is the father of lies. He is a defeated foe. Listen, when Jesus went to the cross, he and his minions, they thought they had won. And for three days, while he was silent in the tomb, hell had a holiday. All the way back in the garden, when Satan first tempted Eve, he has been moving, trying to snatch away God's creation. But I tell you, when Jesus stepped out of that grave, it was all over. He took the keys from death, hell, and the grave. He was the head crusher, the seed of the woman promised all the way back there in Genesis chapter 15. And he crushed Satan's head. And he is a defeated foe. But beloved, he doesn't act like it. And he is still coming after me and he's still coming after you. And to the degree that we are able to fight spiritual warfare by doing, as Dana said, re rejecting the lie and receiving the truth, replacing it with the truth, we're able to walk in victory. But he knows how to push our buttons and to draw us into his lies to receive them. And I've got to tell you, you and I are not bound to obey him or receive him. We do not have to give him any power in our lives because he is powerless. But he's trying to convince us that he's not. But when he comes after us, bringing one of his lies, we simply say, wrong number. And then we say, uh, Jesus, I, I, I think this calls for you. We do not have to receive the message. Wrong number. That's not for me. That's not my message. I can stand against that. I can cast down vain imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the true knowledge of God in the name of Jesus by the blood of the Lamb. I tell you, we are free and we do not have to give in to him. But he is a powerful foe and we must keep our guard up lest we give him any ground. Let's move on to the second thing. Paul's analogy is what I call this. Look in verse uh, 19 and 20. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, but I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Now his tone throughout most of the letter to the Galatians is full of severe, uncompromising language that is full of threats and thunder. It is like a father confronting and correcting a very rebellious child. However, at this point, he changes his tone and he calls them my children. My children. And he begins to relate to them like a mother who has been in labor to see them first come to Christ, agonizing in birth pains, but now once again is in labor until Christ is formed in them. But do you catch the tenderness of the tone? You know that we have six grandchildren. One of them is a little girl. And Kendall is the first girl born in the Stockdale family. For 82 years, there was not a girl born. 
there were so many Stockdales back in Iowa, they had whole teams that were all Stockdale cousins. And so when everybody found out we were getting us a little girl, they were just ecstatic. And so Miss Kendall is quite special to us. And I love to hear my husband talk to her because he talks to her in a tone that he doesn't talk to anybody else in. And he calls her sweetie. And every time I hear him say, hi, sweetie, I know that he is talking to Miss Kendall. He changes his tone. And Paul is changing his tone, speaking to these precious people that he loves. And he's disappointed not so much in them, although that's part of it, but for them. He knows what they're missing out on. And this confusion, he knows, will ultimately shipwreck the faith of some. And so he speaks to them tenderly and gently like a mother does her child. My children, my children. When Declan, our oldest grandson, was about 18 months, uh, Craig and I were keeping him. We were going to be babysitting. When my children started having children, I said, when the question is, are you available, the answer is always going to be, yes, I am. So we've been privileged to get to babysit quite a bit. We love those babies. But anyways, Declan was 18 months old. And on the night that I had committed to babysit, I didn't realize that I had a commitment. And so I was telling Craig, I probably just need to cancel with the kids and, uh, because I need to be gone for a couple hours. And Craig said, oh, honey, I, I, I can take care of him by myself. He said, I raised two boys. Yeah, I, I can do this. And I said, oh, I just hated to ask him to after a long day of work to come home to all that, a very busy toddler. And I said, are you sure? And he said, absolutely. So I leave for a couple of hours. I finish up my meeting and I race back home. And when I open the door, Declan comes running to me. He's got these little chubby arms and he can't wait for me to pick him up. And I scoop him up and snuggle with him. And I said, so did you have fun with Papa? And Declan uh, furls up his brow like this. And he points his little finger and he says, Papa said, no. No, no, no. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, that's really not in keeping with what I know about Mr. Stockdale. Craig was in the other room and I said, Papa. And he said, honey, I was talking to the dogs. <laughs> that's right. Because when we talk to little children, we soften our facial expressions. We soften our voice when we talk to them. And so I just love this about Paul that at this point he says, Oh, my children, I was in labor agonizing to bring you to that place through the Spirit of God and the Word of God that you were born again. And now I'm laboring again so that you might mature and grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ till Christ be formed in you. I love that expression, till Christ be formed in you. That is the process known as sanctification. And beloved, this process starts the moment we are converted and it ends not until the time we see Christ face to face. And in that time, beloved, we will be made like him. Anyways, this process of sanctification, beloved, is how you and I become more and more like Jesus. Now, this process is slow. And it's often very painful. Because God has to continually reveal to us those areas in our life that are not yet picturing Jesus Christ. And so we understand here that Paul is saying, I want you to grow in the Lord. I want you to mature in the Lord. Now, we will never be fully matured in the Lord until we see Jesus face to face. 
1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 says this, Beloved, we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. And we say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. But beloved, we are in this process that we are supposed to be growing and maturing in the Lord. And while it is not easy to do and it is not usually like this, it's more like this and this and this and then a little of this and then this and this and this. We are supposed to be moving towards spiritual maturity. But I do want to remind you the Galatians, they were new in the Lord. Not only that, they were Gentiles. So they had very little experience experience with the Old Testament, which was the only Bible uh, back then. And even though the Spirit of God indwelt them, they still were very young in the Lord and very susceptible uh, to the enemy's lies through the Judaizers. So his, Paul's motives are, are to see his beloved children come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I wanted to share this uh, uh, out of John Phillips' commentary. I told you several weeks ago, he's one of my very favorites. He's home with the Lord now, but he is an outstanding, he was an outstanding preacher and commentator. Um, He wrote this, the gospel is not merely a set of precepts to be believed. It is a person to be received. It is not a question of changing some pagan religion or philosophy in favor of Christianity. It is an introduction to a new life in Christ. Law and grace are mutually exclusive as a ground of salvation. Law says do. Grace says done. Law says try. Grace says trust. Law says it's up to you. Grace says It's up to him. Now listen to this. Law takes us to Mount Sinai. Grace takes us to Mount Calvary. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Craig and I got to go to Israel several years ago, and they were going to, uh, we were ultimately going to end our tour at uh, what they believe is the place where Jesus was crucified and buried. There's several of, uh, several, they, they differ on where that might be, but uh, there's a, a, a section that looks like, a, a mountain looks like a skull. And that is what we believe uh, that our Lord was crucified. But before we went by it, the tour guide said we're about to drive past it. And I, I just couldn't wait. I just could not wait to see this unbelievably historic spot, but so spiritually meaningful. And I still remember as we drove past it, watching throngs of people going about everyday business and nobody looking up. And I thought, do you not know this is holy ground? This is the place Christ was crucified, poured out his sinless blood to redeem us, to redeem me. Do you not know what this is? And do you know there's people right now just walking right past No interest in the things of the Lord. The law takes us to Mount Sinai, but grace takes us to Mount Calvary. Don't ever get used to what Christ did on the cross for you. Don't ever get used to that. Well, I want to close out our lesson with Paul's allegory. Now, if you look with me in verse uh, 21, chapter 4, verse 21, 
Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. For the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. And the son of the free woman through the promise. There's my word again. This is allegorically speaking. For these women are two covenants. One proceeding from Mount Sinai bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. Verse 26. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. Verse 28. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of, what's the word? Children of promise. But as at that time, He who was born according to the flesh, that is Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it is now also, that is, their perpetual enemies of Israel are the descendants of Ishmael. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. Oh, don't you love that? The very first time I ever heard it taught, and this would have been years ago as a brand new believer, and someone took us to this passage to show us the, the allegory that uh, Paul is using comparing Hagar to Sarah. It, it just, I, I'm telling you, my mind went poof. I, I just couldn't wrap my brain around it. That God, that God orchestrated events so long ago to use them as a teaching tool for us now. Just, just think of that for a moment. It's stunning. It's stunning what God has done on our behalf to help us understand who we are in Christ. This is Paul's final rebuttal of legalism. As I said, we begin in chapter 5 with much more practical text. And uh, he uses the allegory, which is a spiritual interpretation of a story that also has a literal meaning. Now, uh, Isaac pictures the son of promise. Ishmael pictures the flesh. That was the best Abraham and Sarah could do was to produce Ishmael because they grew weary of waiting on the Lord. Ten years had passed since God had promised them a child. And it seems that Sarah began to manipulate her husband. Abraham went along with it. But we ended up with an Ishmael, and he was not the son of promise. That was Isaac. Not only that, the two women, Hagar and Sarah, serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. Hagar pictures the Mosaic covenant, which came from Mount Sinai. And so Paul here beautifully ties this all together. Hagar, Mount Sinai, the earthly Jerusalem, bondage, the flesh. He ties it all together, and he uses the term of slavery to describe all 
all of those who are enslaved to the law. Sarah represents the Abrahamic covenant. Paul relates it to Mount Sinai and the heavenly Jerusalem. Freedom and faith. And he ties all that together under the banner of grace. We are children of promise. We who are in Christ are children of promise. Chuck Swindoll says that you can basically reduce all religions of the world into two categories. And here is one of his quotes. The first religion, which comes in countless shapes and sizes, is the religion of human effort and merit. Beloved, that's what the Judaizers were promoting. Those who adhere to one of the forms of this religious system believe they gain salvation or blessing through some sort of requirement, something they do, fulfill, accomplish, or earn. The second religion, Christianity, is the religion of divine grace and mercy. Adherents of this religion forsake their own merit and rely exclusively on the gracious provision of God, which is not based on what we have done but on what God has done for us. In this religion, all we can do is believe, accept, trust, and acknowledge. Beloved, we are free. We are free. We are free in Christ Jesus. The Bible says Christ has ransomed us, reconciled us, accepted us in the beloved, adopted us, as adult sons, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He has uh, chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Let that sit on your soul for just a little bit. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are sealed in him by the Holy Spirit of promise. And this is just a few of the grace gifts that were extended to us through Jesus Christ. We are free. We are free, and we no longer have to uh, be held captive by sin, Satan, ourself. We can live unto the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit and walking in obedience to the word of God. We are not children of the bond woman. We are children of the free woman. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Now, um, as you know, I've just finished up a um, rather lengthy cancer journey. And um, when I began, I was going to have six uh, treatments of chemo. By the first one, I lost my hair. We ended up having to shave it. And it would probably be no surprise to you that my dear friend Ray Ray offered to come over and shave my hair. And she and Craig did that on a day that we had a big celebration of what God was doing in my life. And we played the goodness of God on repeat as loud as we could stand it as we did. We celebrated together that our God is good and he is faithful and our trust was completely in him and him alone. Turned out to be a very, very special day, even as difficult as it was. I actually had Craig take my mirror down in my bathroom because I, it made me look so very ill. And uh, on the days I was feeling bad, that wasn't a problem. But on the days that I felt good, that was, uh, it just kind of set my whole day off wrong. And so I went for about nine months without hair. Well, when it started growing back in, and they had warned me this typically happens, it, it's not the same hair that I had before. It's curly in the back, 
And it is like newborn hair. It is so fine. And in order to get it like this, girls, I have used a lot of hairspray. Now, if they ever are able to prove that the reason there's a hole in the ozone layer... Well, I'm just going to own that because uh, I use a lot of hairspray. And I use a particular one that I have used for years. I hid this back here because some of you are easily distracted as I am, and I didn't want you thinking about hairspray all the time I was teaching. But this is the brand that I use, okay? And I use a lot of it. I am not afraid to use hair products. And so um, it has been an interesting thing at this age to have to learn all about new hair. Well, I'm not complaining. I'm just stating, I'm just reporting the facts. So back in October of last year, I got a call from a church in Florida, and they asked me if I would be interested in coming uh, to speak to them, uh, to their ladies' group, um, for their kickoff of women's ministry. And this dear, sweet friend had been following my journey, and she knew that I was beginning to get better, and so she just asked if I thought I was up to it. Now, up to this point, all the teaching I've done has been here in women's ministry. I'm grateful grateful to be back, and, and uh, uh, really, I am. And uh, So I was not really accepting anything extra, not knowing exactly how I was going to be able to uh, be feeling. But I will admit, after I told her I would pray about it, and Craig and I talked about it and prayed about it, it just seemed like a choice opportunity. They wanted me to come down in January, and frankly, she called on a very cold, rainy day, and I was thinking, a chance to go to Florida? Let's think. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that sounded good. And so I got myself uh, ready and excited to go down there and teach to those precious women down in Leesburg, uh, Florida. Now, Craig went with me, and it's just a good thing because we flew into Orlando, and we had to drive from Orlando to Leesburg, which was about an hour and a half. And girls, I would still be on those toll roads right this minute if I'd been by myself. And so um, right before we got ready to leave on this trip, there was this uh, huge breakdown at the airports, and they were losing everybody's luggage. So I told Craig, even though I typically check a bag, that I was not going to on this trip because I could not risk losing my outfit. And so I said, I'm going to just put everything into a carry-on. And so that's not typically the way I do it, but I was able to get everything in uh, into my one bag except the issue with my hairspray. And so I was telling Craig, all I have is this big bottle. And by this point, I didn't have time to go out looking for a travel size of it. And uh, I said, I'm not going to be able to take this through security with this big bottle. And so I've got to come up with another plan. And he said, baby, we're going to be down there driving a couple of hours just to get to Leesburg. We'll just stop somewhere. and You can run in the drugstore and buy you some more hairspray. I said, well, I think this will work. So we stop at Walgreens or something like that, and I go in, and I'm assuming I'm going to have to buy a different brand. And that's already got me in a bit of a humor. Can anybody just relate with that? Don't like change, and, you know, and it's not like my hair's the end-all, be-all, but it is something, okay? You know, I don't don't just show up all willy-nilly. I've kind of put all this together. And so I go in there, and what? This was on the shelf. They had my hairspray. I jumped on that. I snatched that up and I ran out there, paid for it, went out to the car. I said, John, I believe this. 
they have my hairspray. And Craig, because he loves me so much, rejoiced with me. I'm, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure he has no idea why that was such a big deal, but I think you do. I think you do. And so I was so excited. So the next morning, I'm going to go teach. So I'm up early, and I'm studying my notes, and I'm getting all excited. I'm getting dressed. I've had a shower and done my hair and all of that. And now I've done my makeup. It's time to do my hair. And like I said, this is taking a little bit more uh, effort than it used to take. And so I dry my hair. I put some rollers in it. I get it all fluffed. And then I take this, and I just, I'm telling you, I just went... Took my hair rollers out, fluffed up the hair. Several times now, I have just loaded up my hair, trying to get it all fluffed up. Now, as I'm standing there looking at myself in the mirror, my hair is going... And I'm thinking, well, that's odd. And I declare it looked awfully wet, and I was thinking to myself, the humidity must be really high down here in Florida. And so the fourth time I take this bottle, and I'm telling you, I tore into my hair with vengeance. I sprayed it within an inch of its life, and it's just not working. And so now I'm ready to go, and y'all, my hair is laying completely flat on my hair. I just want you to know, these are the kind of things that enemy seizes on to distract you. And I just stood there in the mirror and said, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, no. This is not the most important the word of God. That's what I've come to bring. And if my hair's not going to cooperate with me, so be it. going to have to go on anyways. And so I get there, and I, I, I was having a very bad hair day, a very bad hair day. <laughs> So I teach, and I have a glorious time with those ladies. They're so precious. Oh, my goodness. We wept together. They rejoiced, and God had raised me back up and given me an opportunity to share with them. And it it was a very emotional, emotional day. I got to spend some time with some of them afterwards, and it was just precious. Well, they finally took me back to the hotel, and uh, Craig was waiting for me. And when I walked into the room, he said, babe, your hair looks wet. I said, I I know. I went in there and looked at this bottle. This is not hairspray. This is shine infusion. You're supposed to fix your hair and then just a little shot of this to make it good and shiny. This is an imposter of this. And this is what I thought I had. But this was it. And I couldn't help but think about the Judaizers (laughs) who were bringing a message that looked like this, but was really this. Look, that right there, that was worth the bad hair day just to get an illustration out of it. You know what I'm saying? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Satan is so clever. He is so subtle that he brings a lie. And if you and I do not know the truth, we're going to fall for it every 
time, every time. Because he's a liar, the father of lies. He is a devourer. He has come to kill and destroy. And he uses counterfeit lies wrapped in just enough truth to look like the real thing. We are daughters of the king, and we will not have it. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, Lord, fire us up. Encourage us. Build us up, Lord Jesus, so that we come to understand that we must become students of the word. We've got to become self-feeders so that we know the truth and recognize the lie because Satan is coming after every one of us individually and the church collectively. And Lord, we cannot fall for it. We must not. We must put on the full armor of God and be ready to stand so in the day of trouble we are holding forth the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith. I pray for my precious sisters in the Lord, these sweet daughters of the King, that they will have the most glorious week in you and they will see the reality of your truth come alive in their lives. Lord, we bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.